Thank you, Gerald. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming. Yes, sir. Appreciate Gerald and Matt, who's with Compassion, uh, for coming and taking the time to come share with us. And one of the things that we talk about here a lot and a saying we have is that uh, we, if we see a need, we want to meet a need. And so today we've seen a need. And uh, if we can, we need to help meet that need. And so I want to encourage you with that. It's, it's, a, it's a worthwhile thing. Um, and so I hope that you'll pray about that. And, and really and truthfully, if you can help meet the need, then, then let's meet the need. Let's do something to help um, these children who are in need. Um, so anyway, uh, let's do that. You'll have that opportunity after the service today. Uh, we're going to continue our series called Our House this morning. Um, and we've been looking at this, just some different values uh, in, the, in the church that we see that God calls us to. Today, the, the message is geared around this value we have called Own the Vision. Uh, the, the tagline to that is that we want to be a gritty band of believers who, do, who will do whatever it takes to reach people far from God. Uh, people who are determined. Who, who are willing to do whatever it takes to reach people who don't know Christ. And so we're going to be looking at that. I want us to take a minute to look at several different scriptures, because as we talk about the vision, I want it to be really, really clear for us what that vision is. Um, it really, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we see where God creates mankind, and he creates us in his image. And in verse 28, he tells uh, man, he says, look, uh, now that you've been created in my image, he says, he, he blesses them and he tells them to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it. And, and what he's literally saying is govern the earth, create communities in the earth that are full of people in my image that will govern this, that, that will do this in a way that glorifies me. And when we look at that, um, that purpose has never changed. I wanted to look at a few scriptures that uh, point this out, that from Genesis to the book of Revelation, this purpose never changes, that the earth would be filled with the glory of God, with the knowledge of his glory. Uh, if you look at Genesis chapter 12, um, this is obviously after sin has entered the world. Uh, it's right after the Tower of Babel where the people are... Um, doing things that are exactly the opposite of what God wants. They're building a tower and a city for their name um, and, and not glorifying God. And you get to 12 and God establishes this relationship with a man by the name of Abram. And he later will become Abraham. And it says in verse two, he tells Abram, he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And listen to this. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. When we look at that passage, this is something that is continuous throughout scripture. Um, let's look at first Kings. Now these won't be on the screen, but uh, we're going to flip through them pretty quick. First Kings chapter eight, verse 59. This is Solomon, King David's son, uh, Solomon uh, making this statement. He says, and may these words, he's speaking this to the people of Israel, God's people. He says, and may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need. So that, listen, all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. 
If you go to Habakkuk 2.14, we've talked about this passage a lot where God makes this statement. He makes this promise that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The prophet Isaiah made a similar statement in Isaiah 11.9. He makes this statement that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And so we see this. If you jump over into the New Testament, we come to Matthew chapter 28, the great commission where uh, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, right? And so we see that God's eye and his heart has always been on the world, the nations. How about John three sixteen? 16? Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his son. It's incredible because God loves the creation. His desire was not just to reconcile a few people to himself, but to reconcile the entire creation. He's called us into that. Look at Galatians now in the New Testament there. One of the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote this to the churches in Galatia. Galatians chapter three, verses seven and eight. Galatians three, seven and eight. Paul is writing this letter to combat um, people who are trying to tell the Galatians that they're saved by works. We know that we're saved by faith. He says this in verse seven, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Remember that guy way back in Genesis chapter 12? Paul, the apostle Paul writing this letter is tying this all the way back. He says, all nations will be blessed through you. What we see in this is this purpose has never changed from Genesis 1, 26 through 28, all the way through now to Paul writing these letters. Um, Acts 1, 8, Jesus tells the disciples right before he ascends to heaven, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive power. And then he says, once you've received the Holy Spirit, he says, go into the world. He says, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. He says, be my witnesses. We see this scope is global. It's the entire earth. If you go to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, last one here, chapter seven, there's so many others. I'm just picking a few just to show us that this is continual throughout. In verse nine, it says, after this, I looked And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So we see this global purpose. Last passage, uh, and we're going to get into the message. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul has just laid out the gospel that, that, that we were foreigners, we were strangers to God, we were separated from God, we had no hope. And he says, but Jesus came, he says, now by faith in Jesus, through his grace, we are saved. He says, consequently, in verse 19, because of this, because of what God has done in Christ, he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. In other words, those of us who aren't Jews, we're no longer foreigners and strangers as God's, to God's people. We've been brought in through Christ, he says, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, we're now part of his family, his people, this unique community of people that God has established for himself. He said, built on the foundation of the the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. He says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling 
in which God lives by his spirit. He's writing this church or this letter to the churches in Ephesus, but understand this, it is just as applicable to us today. We too are being built together in that way. Let's pray and we'll get into this. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message of it, Lord. I pray, Lord, that in the few minutes we have left, you'll, you'll stir our hearts. Stir our hearts for these children that need help. Stir our hearts for your vision, your purpose, Lord, that you've called us to. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. I pray we would yield ourselves to you, to your guidance, to the things you would call us to. We love you, Father. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, talking about owning the vision, uh, the vision statement we have is until every person knows. It really comes out of those passages I read to you. It's, it's that, that, that we have a, a purpose to fulfill until every person knows, until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, we're called to go, we're called to share, we're called to, to proclaim the gospel. And so that's what we look at as the vision. And the way that came about is um, when we first started the church, we had a vision statement. It was like to reach 2,000 people by the year 2020 or something along those lines. And that actually happened as we were planning other churches that happened like in 2014. We're like, what now, you know? And so uh, a few years ago, I was praying. I'm like, God, what are you calling us to? What is the vision that you want for this church, for us as a people? And one day I'm walking down the hallway where our offices are. And I can tell you exactly where I was when this hit me. I was about to walk through the, the doorway of the office and, and I'm, I'm right there walking along and I'm like, I'm still praying just as I'm walking. I'm like, Lord, what do you want the vision of this church to be? And just as clear as anything, I, I didn't hear like this audible voice, but in my heart, I, I just heard this. Why don't you let my vision be your vision? And I was like, well, that's pretty simple, right? But I was like, Lord, what is that? What, what, how do you want this to play? What do you, what do you want this to, to be? How do, we, how do we talk about this? What, what exactly is it? And I sat down at my desk. I end up back in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I get to verse 28 and it says, God blessed them and, and told them to multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. And then I realized that is the first command that God gives to people. It's the first words we have recorded of God speaking to mankind. And I realized like, this is really important, right? This is really important. And we see this, that that doesn't change throughout scripture. That, that same purpose exists still. I, I realized this is the first words that God spoke to man. And then uh, I thought about this. I'm like, well, what were the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended to heaven? And I go to Acts 1.8. And he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And I realized this, these last words of Christ before he ascends and sends back the Holy Spirit, before he ascends, these last words of Jesus are pretty much the same thing that God said to mankind when he created them and gave them this purpose. And what I realized is that everything between sin in Genesis 3 and Jesus ascending to send back the Holy Spirit in Acts 1-8 was this plan of reconciliation reconciliation being worked out so that what we lost because of sin could be reestablished for God's people so we can accomplish the purpose for which he originally created us. That it, it never changed. It is still the same today. This purpose has never changed. 
And when we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, he tells us in, in 21, he says, in him the whole building. He's not talking about a, a building of sheetrock and metal studs and steel. He says, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What's he saying? He's saying that we, God's people, are being built together. That we are being built for a purpose. These living stones, every one of you in here who are in Christ by faith, you are a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in you. You and I are these living stones that are being built into this temple so that when when when. Uh, people look, they can see a people in whom the presence of God dwells. And it's not just this group, it's, it's, it's all people who are called by the name of Christ. All people who belong to Jesus. Here, the Dominican Republic, Ethiopia, all around the world, these temples rising up to be a demonstration of God's love and grace to the world. It's this fact that we're being built for something. We're being built for something. Paul talks about this, how we're being built together, this temple of the Holy Spirit, being built together, built together, this thing that is, is to be an inhabitation of God's presence, us, his people. And he says this, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. And then it's like squirrel. All right, he, he, he just kind of goes a different direction. I don't think it was because, because Paul was, you know, like ADD or whatever. I think that Paul was being led a different direction by the Holy Spirit. He was about to go into this prayer, which we'll see him continue in a minute. But instead of going into this prayer, it's like the Holy Spirit redirects him. And there's some, some, a really important statement he's supposed to make. And he goes on in verse two and he says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. What he's talking about is he's saying, surely you've heard about the calling God has given me to share this mystery or the gospel of Jesus Christ with the Gentiles, with the non-Jews. This is what he's saying. He's saying in reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery, into the gospel of Christ, which was not made known to, God's whole, to, to people in other generations that has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And so he's saying, now we've all been brought together to create this one unique community that's rising up to be a temple of the Holy Spirit to declare the wonders, the glory, the goodness of God, the gospel of Christ. He says in verse seven, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. What's he saying? This love, this unmerited favor, and this ability to do this was given to me by God. He says to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration, the giving out is what he's saying of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created 
all things. Now listen to this. It says, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may now approach God with freedom and confidence. Those verses right there, verses 10 through 12, when we really grasp an understanding of them, and I, I pray we'll see this more clearly today, it should make us more excited than anything because Paul is laying out this incredible vision for God's people. And we see this, it should blow our minds, right? It should blow our minds when we see this and we realize we get to be a part of this. But there's something we need to understand. Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. In other words, I bow before the Father. He, he, he's saying like, look, in light of God's calling on my life and what he's called me to be and do, even though I'm the least of God's people, he says in light of this and in light of this purpose he has for the church, I kneel, I bow. This is, this is in, uh, incredible. What we need to understand, guys, and what we're reading here and what we've got to get our minds around somehow is that God's plan for us God's purpose for us is so much bigger than what we realize. So much bigger than what we realize. In our churches today, the plan and purpose for God's people has been watered down so much. It's been watered down to this place where we just come in on Sunday, go through services, hope it helps us get through the week and, and, and just, you know, maybe I'll make it back next week. And here's the thing, it is bigger than that. It is so much bigger than that. This purpose is global. This purpose is huge. This purpose is God's plan to reconcile the earth to himself. And you and I have been called to be a part of this, but we've got to get our head out of the sand. We've got to kind of look above a little bit and realize that there's a big purpose for us than just what we've known of church. There's a bigger purpose for us than what we've even known of God. We have been called to be a part of this reconciling process. The plan of God is bigger than we realize. I want you to also see this. Not only is the plan of God bigger, but listen to verse 10. He says his intent was that now, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In other words, the time is now. He, he, the, the intent of God is that now we're in this age where that plan is happening, that that plan can now come to fruition, that Jesus has given us everything we need to be able to see this plan come to fruition. It's bigger than what we could imagine, and it's now. It's bigger. Look, he says, even the angels in heaven look at the wisdom of God in Christ and they look at how this plan of reconciliation is supposed to happen and is happening through God's people. And the angels in heaven, their minds are blown. Is that not crazy? And yet we come in and we can read these scriptures and we can keep coming in and going out, coming in and going out, and our minds aren't blown. But it's because We've, we've been told that it's not that big of a plan. It's just raise your hand, try to get to heaven, right? No, you have a bigger purpose than that. You have a part to play in this. 
This is huge. This is huge. And we are called to do this together. It's not you, it's us, right? It's not an individual, it's all of us. We're called to play a part in this. And the time is now. Look at Acts chapter three real quick. If you have a Bible phone, turn there. Acts chapter three. I want you to see this. The apostle Peter is preaching a message. And this is what he says. He says, indeed, in verse 24, Acts 3, 24, he says, indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. In other words, he's saying these days we are in right now. All the prophets foretold these days. He says, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. Listen, he said to who? Abraham. Remember Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, that same guy? He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. This is right after the coming of the Holy Spirit, right after Jesus has ascended, he sends back the Holy Spirit. Peter's preaching this message and he's telling the Jewish people, he's saying, understand this. You remember what God said to Abraham all the way back in the beginning. You remember when he said that? He said, well, those days where, where the seed of Abraham would be a blessing to all nations. He's saying that seed is Jesus and the time has come for all peoples to be blessed through Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ. And that's what he's calling us to. This plan, this purpose is so much bigger than what we have realized. So much bigger than in many ways what we've been told, what we've learned, what we've seen, what we've taught. And here's my question. Why can't we be the people who change the course of history? Through the power of God, not in our own strength or ability, but why can't we be the people who change the course of history? Listen, we know the mission. We've been commissioned. We've been given back everything our original parents forfeited over to the enemy. Why not us? Why not now? Why? Why? Why should we drift off into eternal insignificance like generations before us? Why not us? Why not now? Why not Statesboro? Why not Georgia? Why not the United States? Why not the world? Why? To the ends of the earth. Why not leave our mark on eternity? Why not glorify God through fulfilling what he, we were created to do and now recreated to do in Christ? Why not take our last breath? Listen, why not take our last breath knowing that we fulfilled every ounce of potential that God gave us and have left nothing on the table, but we squeezed every ounce of it out. And because of that, God is glorified in the world. For me, that's exciting, right? Anybody would wanna be a part of that? Like I would, I would wanna be a part of it. That's worth it, right? That's worth it. But here's the challenge. If we're gonna fulfill that purpose, if we're gonna accomplish what God has already prepared for us, like that, that is out there, that is ready, and all we have to do is put our hands to it, put our heart to it, if we're gonna accomplish those purposes that he has for us, then our purpose must line up with our priorities, or you could say it the other, our priorities must line up with our purposes. 
Look at verse 15 in Ephesians 3. He says in 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father. He says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Seems like a kind of a weird statement, right? But what Paul is saying is, look, God has sovereignly ordained the people of the world. He's sovereignly done this and he's called them. He's given them their identity. And he's given his people their identity. And with that identity comes a purpose. But with that purpose comes priorities. And if we're really going to see our purpose fulfilled, then the priorities of our life have to line up with that purpose. Think about this. I want you to think about this after you leave even. Priorities in our life are like vehicles. They're like vehicles. You know, you get in a vehicle and it takes you somewhere. It takes you to a destination. Well, understand this. Don't, don't misunderstand. The priorities you have in your life, not the priorities you say you have, but the ones that are actual that you live out in your life, those priorities are taking you somewhere. They're taking you to a destination. And we can say we wanna be a part of God's plan, but if those priorities we have don't line up with that plan, we're not gonna end up in the destination God desires for us. We're gonna end up somewhere else. We will not unintentionally end up where God wants us to be. It will be intentional because we pursue God and the things he has called us to. The other day I came out of the gym and there were a couple other people that walked out with me, come out into the parking lot and I walk up to my truck. I've got a, a silver F-150. And I walk up and tired. I'm like, yeah, I was just trying to get in. So I'm hitting the keypad on the door. Doesn't open. Hit the keypad again. Doesn't open. What is going on, right? Hit the keypad again. Like three, four times I hit the keypad. Doesn't open. I look in the window. There's a bunch of stuff in my truck that's not mine. And I'm like, this isn't my truck. And there are people out there. And I, I mean, you know, they see you, right? You know, they see. You. And so I kind of walk around. Well, my truck was on the other side of this truck. Two silver Fords, exactly the same, sitting side by side. And I'm trying to get into this. This truck is the wrong truck. And I thought about that this week. Many of us have become too content and comfortable getting in the wrong vehicle. It's taking us to the wrong destination, right? Many of us have gotten too comfortable with that. We're constantly you know, living for things that aren't gonna take us where we wanna go. We may have a destination in mind. We may wanna fulfill God's purpose and his plan, but the priorities of our life are not going to get us there. We have to make sure that we're We're lining our life up with God's purpose. We're lining our life up with where we want to be, where God wants us to be. This place that God will take us, it is for our good and for his glory. But do the priorities of my life line up with his purpose? I wanna be real clear about something. God is not a priority. God is not a priority. We've heard this probably all of our life. God should be our number one priority. God is not a priority. To say that God is a priority, it's almost like polytheism. It's almost like idol worship. It's like saying 
God is a priority among these other priorities. God is not a priority. That'd be like me saying, Susan is a wife among wives. That ain't gonna fly. Right? A wife among, no, no, God is not a priority. I want you to, I wanna show you how many of us think. How many of you, like, like my plate here, found out this morning that dry erase marker does not come off of plates, just in case you ever need that random uh, fact. But how many of you have ever eaten off of a plate like this? Anybody? How many of you still eat off a plate like this? How many of you don't care if your food touches? You're one of those people, you're just like, it's all going to the same place anyway, right? How many of you are not? Yeah, I, I'm not either. Really. I, I don't mind if some things mix, but like, I don't really care for the bean juice to get on my bread and make it soggy. You know what I'm saying? That's just gross. And other people are like, let's just sop it on up in there, you know? <laughs> not me. And so I got this plate and it's got these dividers. And for a lot of us, this is kind of how our life looks. We like to divide things. I went to eat lunch with a buddy of mine one day and we're in line at this buffet where they fix your plate. And he's coming through the line and the lady that's fixing the plates, he's like, I want some beans and some okra. And you know, he's telling what she wants. And she goes, you want me to put it in separate bowls or you just want me to put it all together? And she looks at him and she goes, and he looked at her, he goes, just put it all together. And she goes, oh, you want a manly plate. So then it's my turn. And she's like, you, you want me to put it in separate bowls or you want it uh, all on a plate? Well, I can't say I want it in bowls, not after that, right? I want an unmanly plate. No, I'm like, just slap it all on there together, right? But, but, but I kind of would prefer the, the dividers. And this is kind of how our life looks a lot of times. And so what we'll do is our, this, this, this is our life. We'll have a section that might be for like family, right? Family, friends. We'll have a section that's like for work, recreation, hobbies, things like that. And then maybe we've got this even the bigger section that's for God, right? Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And we've been taught that God needs to be the first priority. And so I'm feeling good because God has got a bigger part of my life, right? Uh, or he's got a section of my life and I give him part of my life. But understand this, God is not a priority. God does not fit into a section of our life. He's not a part of this plate. God is the plate. God is the plate that holds it all. But so many of us put so much on our plate that we have no time for God. So what do we do? We just make a little square for him, a little triangle, a little piece of the plate. What we need to understand is that God is the plate. He's not a, a part of the plate. He's not a piece of the plate. God is not a priority. Understand this. God is not a priority. God is the determiner of our priorities. It's a big difference. God is the determiner of our priorities. 
He's the determiner of our priorities, and if we will align our priorities with what God has for us, he will get us to places that are for our good and for his glory, and we will see his plan be fulfilled. If we don't become intentional about this, we will fade into eternal insignificance like generations before us, not having accomplished or fulfilled the potential, um, the things that God has for us. And understand, we can spend every penny on stuff, but what we're doing is buying temporary sacrifices satisfaction and eternal insignificance. We can use up every ounce of energy building our own kingdom, but we're only building monuments to ourselves, to what amounts to puny gods that will not last. We can give all of our time to creating our status and stature to prop ourselves up as if we are something and never give any of ourselves to something that will actually matter. We can give all of our thoughts over to the concerns of this life while never investing our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength into something that will alter eternity. We can do those things, but understand this, we will go the way of so many other people not having done what God created his church to do. For me, that's not okay. For me, that's not okay. We've got a bigger purpose and a bigger part to play. But what does that look like, right? What does it actually look like? I mean, it's great and we can, we can even get excited about that. But what does it actually look like? Because so many times we make this thing so much harder than it is. We, we think that, that, you know, we, we've got to have um, some magic bullet that's going to accomplish this. And actually, it's, it's not anything that's going to be like a sprint. It's much more like a marathon. Let me tell you how this happens. And we know this because Jesus modeled it. So did Paul, the Apostle Paul. Let me tell you how this happens. You go get two people. And y'all sit down and you start reading scripture. You start going through things together. You start spending time together. You walk with Jesus together. And you spend that time and you grow and you, you become equipped to do those things with other people. And then you know what? In a matter of time, you, you get to this place where you know it's time. We're gonna go do that with two more. And then after a while, you go do that with two more. And after a while, you go do that with two more. And see, that's not real glamorous, is it? But that's the way of Christ. That's the way that Paul did it. It's much easier to have the pastor come some celebrity pastor that's gonna be the savior of the world. No, that's not gonna work. It's much easier to develop a program that can do it for us. The problem is programs don't make disciples. Programs don't make followers of Jesus. People make disciples. Relationships are where discipleship happens. It's where people grow. It's where people mature. It's where people are equipped to go and do the purposes that God has for them. Grab a couple of people. There are people in here right now, somebody on the fringe of the church, somebody that you know that's just willing to sit down and spend time in God's word to pray, to do whatever. And you just reach out and grab them. I've been doing this for a while. You just reach out and grab people and bring them in. You just bring them in and then you, you spend time with them and then you start sending them out. You get three people together, it's a lot better because if you're like me, I'm not good at conversation. I can run my mouth up here probably all day long. I'm not good at conversation. You get two people together, I sit down across from the table or the table from them. You good? You know what I mean? It can, it can just be like that, especially if they're not a talker. Now, some of y'all talk. 
right? But, but listen, if you've got three people, it just changes the whole dynamic. There's something to it. Get with some people and begin to read and then multiply that out. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Can you imagine if everybody in here did that? How incredible. You want to see a kingdom impact. You want to see a community impact. You want to see homes change, communities change, nations change, the world change. This is how it happens. It's not glamorous. It's not something that we look at and we can even tangibly see it happening all the time. But, but it's the way of God. Find people. Get a couple of folks, begin to walk, begin to go, begin to grow together, and then send out to do it again. It was, we're going to do this. So listen, in Ephesians three fourteen, Paul again, he says, I bow, I kneel before the Father. Paul had this revelation of God and his purposes and what he had called him to and what he's called us to. And for Paul, God and his kingdom purpose trumped every preference, every opinion, everything. And it should be the same for us. Our preferences, our opinions, they should be trumped by this, this, this calling of God. Right now, the church, even in, in this church and other churches around, well, we're so divided over this and over that. I'm a, I'll be honest with you, for a lot of people, it'd be better just to keep your opinions off social media. Just being honest and focus on something that, that is gonna matter in a hundred years, in a thousand years. But right now, this, this has to trump our opinions and our preferences. This should be the unifying theme of our life. Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the gospel, one body, one spirit, one baptism, one faith, one God, and we're all united in this. And we may have our different preferences and opinions on everything under the sun, but you know what's bigger? This. Paul goes on, he talks about the importance of our love for each other. Because we're being built into this temple, he's talking about the love for each other. He's talking about being rooted in that, the power of God strengthening us. He says in our inner being, making us the, that gritty group of people that just keeps going and keeps going. Gritty love that doesn't back away because of differences and things like that, but just keeps going. And he gets to the end in Ephesians 3.20, one of the most taken out of context verses in the Bible. He says this, he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. To him be glory where? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. We look at this verse and, and what it's telling us, he's laid out this purpose of the church. He showed the gospel. He says, you're being built for something. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm calling Gentiles to Christ. This is my calling, but it's so that the church can display the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities of, of the heavenly realms. And then he says, this is your purpose. Be united in love. Let this trump all of your preferences and opinions. And then he says, now to him who's able to do it exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever think or imagine. What's he saying? He's saying, you can't do this on your own. 
If this grand vision is going to be fulfilled, it's because you leaned into God. You can't do it in your ability, your ingenuity, your power, your strength. He's saying, lean into Christ. Let the love of God fill you to the fullness of God, spending time with him, allowing him spirit to work in us so that we're literally overflowing in Christ's love for one another. We can't do it on our own, but God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. He can do things that make the angels go, wow. At the end of this, Paul goes into worship. It's like Paul, and he'll do this in a lot of his writings. It's like he begins to write about the things of God And then all of a sudden, it's like it just builds up in him so much that he literally just begins to worship God on paper. And that's really what happens here. He says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. As we close this, I want to ask you to stand to your feet, if you will. Paul says, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ in all generations. We're going to Take a moment and and right where you are, why don't you just begin to thank God? Why don't you just begin to thank God for all he's done? Let's finish like Paul finished this section. Let's pray, let's praise, let's let God know. God, we thank you. Just begin to thank him for whatever it is that, that comes to your mind, to your heart, for what he's done, for what he's doing, for the things he will do. Father, we thank you this morning. I thank you for all the work you've done. I thank you, God, that those who are called by your name, God, that you have rescued us from from the darkness. You've rescued us from this present evil age. I thank you for that, God, that today we can celebrate the fact that we have crossed over from death to life, that we no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this age, the kingdom of this world, but we have been transferred over into the kingdom of your son whom you love. I thank you this morning that we can be called sons and daughters of God, that God, we, we are not spiritual orphans. We have a father who in heaven who loves us, who, who gave his son for us, that we could become children of God. And now, Father, we thank you that his spirit lives in us and his spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, that you are our daddy, that you are our God who was with us forever. God, we thank you for that and we worship you. I do pray this morning, Lord, that through this church, this body of believers and your church globally, that you would be glorified. God, today, tomorrow, for all generations, I pray that, God, we would be a part of seeing you work in ways that blows our mind, that does exceedingly abundantly more than we could think or imagine. God, we look at the church right now, and through this pandemic, um, every church is less and less people who seem to be attending, God. But we know this, you're bigger than a pandemic. You're bigger, God, and you're working and you're doing things. I thank you that you call people together for a purpose, for, for a purpose, God. You're building us for something, and you're putting those stones, those blocks, those living stones in the exact right place so that we can become the temple, God, that you created us to be. I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for the call on their life. I pray you would stir their hearts, Lord, to to, to reach out to other people, to just begin to walk with them as God, they walk with you. Lord, that it would be something that we prioritize, whether it's in the morning, before work, or after school, or in the evening. God, what 
whatever it might be, would you put those people on our hearts that we could invite them into our lives to begin to see you work in them as you're working in us, God. I thank you for that. Lord, we praise you, we thank you, and we worship you. Thank you that you've made a way that we can come before your throne, that we can know you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.